OT Geniuses. My name is Jessica Lopez Hermanton, and I am the creator and founder of OT Genius. And you're listening to Pre-OT Secrets. On this show, we talk about how to get into occupational therapy school, how to do it in the most financially savvy way. And we also dive into the stories of pre-OTs, current OT professionals and students to learn how they got in and what their experiences were like. And so we're here to inspire, motivate, and encourage you throughout your OT journey and show you how you can be a successful OT school applicant and become the OT that you want to be. Now, on to the show. What's up, OT Geniuses? Welcome back to another episode with Pre-OT Secrets. We have Ashley DeCastro on again, and she is a former student. If you did not catch the first episode, please go ahead and check that out so you can just hear her story. I think it was a really, really good episode just because, you know, we go over what her Pre-OT journey was like, some of the struggles and stuff that she's talked about being first generation, and also just what is her student journey looking like and where is she today? So she is a former Road to Accepted member. So it's really just such a cool thing to see where she is at now. So if you listen to the first episode, you'll see that she talks about how she's doing her level two A field work now and she's doing it in hand. So I'm sure that our listeners are wanting to know, like, what are some of the common diagnoses that you are seeing as a student, like right now, at least in your setting where you're sh- where you're doing your internship for field work? Yeah. So I'm in an outpatient hand therapy clinic. Well, it's physical and hand therapy. My site is it's pretty cool because we share a space with orthopedic surgeons. So a lot of our clients are post-op but I mean a lot of common diagnosis diagnoses that I'm seeing carpal tunnel syndrome dupuytrens which in school we learn that it's super rare but I see like three a week three so I don't think (laughs) I think it's more common than you think yeah (laughs) I see a lot of distal radius fractures those are also super common, a lot of some CMC joint arthritis, uh, lots of like finger fractures, mallet fingers, lots of splinting, trying to think. Do you have any advice for those who did not get, or like, you know, they, when it comes to splinting, Mm -hmm. I think that many people struggle with that. You know, mm-hmm. just because it takes a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things that you just got to do over and over and over. And then if yeah. you want to just get better at it, it really is just going to take practice. You know, it just takes a certain use of your hands and motor planning that, mm-hmm. you know, and getting used to the way that it feels and all of this different stuff. And so, but anyway, any, I guess, I don't know, can you think of any advice that you have for students that maybe are not getting that splinting experience, but maybe they, you know, they later have to like do splinting or they are not feeling confident in their splinting, anything like that? Any advice that you want to share or anything that you learned? Yeah, I would say 
it's hard and it definitely requires a lot of practice. But the good thing is splinting material, you can just throw it back in the pan and do it again. So if you mess up, you just start over. And a lot of the times patients are just really like, they're fine with it. You just tell them, oh, sorry, I got to do this again. And they're okay with it. Like you just be honest with them. But lots of practice. And I would say in school too, they teach us a very specific way on how to splint. But in the real world, it's much easier. I will say that. (laughs) You don't really have to make, at least what I'm learning is you don't have to make a like a super specific pattern. I will say it's much easier like in the real world versus what we've learned in school, but just lots of practice. If you can get your hands on some splint material, bring it home, throw it in some hot water and just practice. Look up YouTube videos. Boom. Yeah. That's so good. That really is so good. And yeah, that's really, really key. What like what do you like do you see yourself doing hand therapy in the future or like what have you gotten out of the field work experience so far? Yeah, I do. I see myself in hand therapy, which is great <laughs> because yeah, I came into OT school and I I had an interest in hands. I started the hand therapy club at my school. So I was like, I was in it when I started my field work. How you know, like it was, obviously it was hard at first, and but I was so excited and it was hard. But then I was like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. But now I'm here. I'm going into my eighth week and I'm like, this is it for me. I love hands. I mean, I'm obviously open to other things, but yeah, I really like hands. I see myself in it in the future. And for those of you who are listening in field work, is 12 weeks, 12 weeks, right? I'm not messing that up, I don't think. Yeah, (laughs) I'm pretty sure. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's 12 weeks. And as you go through the field work, they give you more and more of your own caseload. And ideally by the end, it's like if you're a treating clinician, the, the goal is for you to feel as comfortable and safe also like, you know, treating patients and yeah, like that's really the whole goal. So actually I'm sure you've been getting just more and more patients that uh, like the, your fieldwork educator are saying like, that's your patient for, you know, yeah. like for- <laughs> yep. and how does that make you feel as a student? Like, are you like, were you nervous or like, <laughs> yeah, I definitely get nervous. Like anytime there's a new eval at this point, they're pretty much all my patients. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like kind of surreal, like thinking back to day one of field work and I had no idea what I was doing. And now I'm like, like you said, like I'm a treating clinician and they're my patients and I'm coming up with the treatment plans and I'm thinking of like discharge recommendations and everything like that. So yeah. And of, course, and of course, though, you get the help of your fieldwork educator. It's not like, you know what I mean? So like when you're in fieldwork, it's not like you're just tossed into the wolves, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You definitely are supervised. And we did a episode on fieldwork, actually, with Dr. Christina Bertrand from St. Augustine University. And mm-hmm. she's a fieldwork educator. And I love how she put it. She said, Fieldwork is a time where you're put under a microscope. So, <laughs> you know, and so people are watching you They're, you know, and they're, but they're there for you. You know what I mean? People are watching and they're wanting to see where you're at as a student mm-hmm. and what you're learning, what you're picking up and 
where how proficient you'll be as a clinician. Like that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. So, but thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I'm also just curious to know what would you say has been your one of like just like having gone through now like your OT school and now even field work, you're going to do a capstone project. Mm-hmm. Right. And could you tell us a little bit about how that works? Because yeah. I didn't, I have, like I was telling you in uh, before we were even talking, like, you know, I didn't do a capstone because I got my master's mm-hmm. in occupational therapy. So I did a master's project. I, you know, I still had to definitely do research mm-hmm. and evidence and be very involved in evidence based practice. And, but I'm just curious to know a little bit about yeah, your, your capstone project, or do you already know what that's going to look like or what does that entail? Yeah. So in our program, the master's students also do their own, their master's project. They do it in groups, but it's kind of similar. So with the doctoral students, it's essentially our own research project. We are paired up with two faculty advisors, kind of like based on our interests and what topic we want to do, but essentially we're doing all of the research on our own. And then we get placed at a site where either we can do program development, we can create like a guidebook for the clinicians at that site. We can do qualitative or quantitative research, just kind of depending on your topic and what you want to do. But yeah, it's kind of like your own baby. It's, I mean, we, We started working on it pretty early. We started back in September, I would say, like just already trying to think of like what we want to do. But yeah, then the actual capstone project starts in January and we do that for 14 weeks and that's all we're doing. It's just our project. Currently, I'm kind of, I'm in between topics right now. I'm not 100% sure what I want to do. I actually changed my topic once. So this is actually, I would say, good for the listeners. Just if you're in a a doctoral program or if you're looking to go into a doctoral program and want to do a capstone, be open to change. Because I chose my topic initially. It was maternal health. And I was like, this is it. Like, I'm not going to change my topic. Like, this is what I'm going to stick with. And then some things just kind of like fell through and I ended up changing my topic to hand therapy. But now here I am again, I'm kind of realizing like my topic might not be feasible. So I might have to change it again. So just kind of be open to change and it's okay to change your mind. But you have to remember like you're kind of, you're married to this topic for a long time. So choose that you're interested in, choose something that you're passionate about, something that you're really going to enjoy doing. Yeah, because I mean, you're researching that, researching that for a very long time. So you got to like what you're doing. But yeah, so I mean, I'm kind of in between topics right now. I'm not 100% sure what I want to do. I might go back to maternal health, but we'll see. <laughs> it's interesting for you to listen to this i'm sure later on if you're doing your like yeah and yes. you go back in time <laughs> i'm gonna have to come back a year from now and listen and see, <laughs> see where i'm at <laughs> that's gonna be interesting yeah that would be fun that would be fun yeah. <laughs> that's really cool and 
So that's, I'm sure, really, really good advice. And I'm sure some of the listeners are wondering what made you choose between a master's and a doctoral program, given that your school has both options. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have a pretty simple, like, I don't have the best answer. I I always <laughs> knew I wanted to get my doctorate and no matter what I was going to do. Okay. So like with my plans in like psychology, I knew I was going to go like get my PsyD or my PhD. So that was kind of just always a goal of mine. Okay. So when I saw that occupational, that my program offered the doctor, I was like, you know what, just do it. Cool. Very, yeah. very, very, very cool. And I'm sure that you, you know, like one of the cool things though about getting your OTD, like right off the bat is that essentially that's it, you know, it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that definitely is one of the benefits. Whereas something to consider is if you are in that position, and I think she hit something right on the nail in terms of like she knew what she wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know what you wanted. Like, like, I'm speaking to the listener. <laughs> Ashley knows what she wanted, right? And, you know, she always wanted, uh, like, whether it was a PsyD, PhD, and then occupational therapy offered the OTD. And so she just went that route because that's what she pictured for herself. And if she would have gone the master's route, then later on, because she had this vision of herself getting a like an OTD, she would have had to have gone back to school. So if you have, I think, that idea in your head of, you know what, I really want the OTD. And I have a feeling if I only get my master's, I am going to end up going back to school. It may actually be in your interest to research early on OTD programs. Now, if you're on the opposite side of the spectrum, you know, and you're like, you know what? No, I only want my master's. I have no intentions of getting a doctorate. Like I really just want my master's in occupational therapy and I want to be a clinician. And I, you know, like I really don't have like an interest in, in getting anything higher than that because maybe for you, you know, like you're just like, I'm not there yet, you know, and you have no problem with going back later on, then go for the master's. You just need to see and be introspective on where you are at and I think be really good with whatever decision you make so I think that you chose just fine because you know like it's not like you were just like what's it called like only choosing the OTD because maybe you felt pressured to get the OTD or you felt like that it was going to be the only way that later on you could be a like a like a good clinician because none of that is true you can you can be, you're going to be a great clinician, it, you know, regardless if you get a master's and or a doctorate, if you invest in yourself. And mm-hmm. I think you just got to do what's right for you, you know? So I hope that that helps our listeners who are debating about master's versus doctorate. I don't know if you want to add anything yeah. to that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think you definitely, you have to know what you want. And for me, I knew, like I said, like I knew what I wanted, but also like, I think once I'm done here, like, I don't want to go back to school. I just want to get it done and over with. But I mean, yeah, like you said, it doesn't make you a better clinician. I actually shadowed, this was a a while ago, I shadowed an OT and she was locked in and she had her bachelor's degree and she was a great clinician. So it just goes to show like it, it really doesn't matter. I mean, we're getting the same exact education. The only difference is I'm, I have to do a capstone project and I do my own research. Um, but we get the same exact education. So there's, yeah. 
Did you work throughout school at any point, Ashley? That's actually something that some of my listeners are like, if you interview people, like, could you, like, how are they getting through school? How are they like paying for stuff? <laughs> yeah. So my first, I'd say my first, like the first half of my first year, I didn't work because that first semester it's, it's a lot. It's just, it's all new and the course load is a lot. So I didn't work, but I did end up getting a job the second semester. Um, it's part-time. It's like half of part-time work. Um, I'm a caregiver, so it's really flexible. Um, I could work in the evenings and on the weekends. Um, and then I also did work study. Um, so that was nice because I could actually study while I was there. Um, the work study was available for you as a grad student? Yes. That's awesome. Yes. That's yeah. really really cool. Yeah. So I would say you guys to consider. Yeah. A tip to people who are thinking about they, if they want work study, apply early to FAFSA, like get that in super, super early because it's, it comes on like a first come first serve. Like I had my FAFSA done like with, like, I think the second day, like after it was, it came out, it was I had it done versus I know some of my classmates waited until the very end and then they didn't end up getting work study. So get that in as soon as you can. And we talk about FAFSA and a bunch of other financial stuff guys in the road to accepted program. Now that's just one of the things that I've incorporated. Like when we first started, it was just really, it was a six week program. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we just, it was like six weeks. We were meeting every week. And then like, I'm like, this is what I got. And yeah. then I kept on adding more and more things in the sense of like, just kind of listening to students and what the students needs were. And the financial aspect was a really huge thing. And like, how do I decide between master's and and doctorate and all of that stuff that we've been talking about, too, is covered more deeply within the program, too. So, you know, if you guys want to like definitely go ahead and check out the website of tgenius.com and you guys can learn more about that there. But I really love the advice that Ashley gave. It's just that if you want to learn more than what's just been mentioned in this episode, then, um, you know, the, the content is out there for you in order for you to be um, successful um, in, in terms of FAFSA and preparing for application costs and all of that good stuff. And how do I, and, and like how to actually pay off your loans as fast as you can, all that stuff is covered there as well. So, uh, so yeah, any, any other piece of advice that you would love to give our listeners or, you know, whether they're like, yeah, what piece of advice would you like to give our listeners? Yeah. Um, so students, I mean, one, if you're a pre-OT student, don't give up. You got this. Two, if you are a student, never say never. So keep your, keep your mind open because I said never so many times in OT school. And now I like I'm here. So my biggest thing was no to, to pediatrics. And now I love it. And I would love to go into pediatrics. I would love to go into pediatric hands. But yeah, I was like, never in my life will I go into peds. I don't want to do it. That was my favorite class. I yeah, I loved it. So never, never say never. Keep you need to mind. keep in contact, girl. Yeah. girl. Like no, that seriously, that is my jam. Like same exact story. Same like you yeah. and me, identical story. I went yeah. into I went into OT school. I want to do hands. I'm going to be a future CHT, and like that. This was my mindset. And then I'm yeah. like, I'm never going to do peds. 
I actually love peas now and I have yeah. such a deep appreciation for it. Like yeah. <laughs> I have yeah. such a deep appreciation for it. And yeah. like my goal, like, I don't know if I'll, it'll ever happen just because I'm like, Oh my God, there's so much work. And I don't know if I want to deal with these insurance companies, but mm-hmm. peas hands, <gasps> that would be my jam. You give me, mm-hmm. hands, you give me hands. That's yeah. it. You want yeah. me. <laughs> yep. so but yeah it's so so cool um and and it's not common it's not no no like it's at least here in the miami area so there's only there's a huge local hospital called nicholas well i don't know if i could say well what (laughs) i already said it but whatever nicholas children's hospital and they are big you know big provider for this for the city um, mm-hmm. here in Miami and they basically are the only ones that really target pediatric hands because they have the pediatric um, you know hand ortho surgeons and the plastic surgeons that mm-hmm. that help kiddos and stuff post up or like you know for the surgeries and stuff like that and but they handle all that and then what kind of stinks for the kids is that if they do have surgery they do have a fracture if they do have an injury of some sort in a sport or if they're roughhousing fall off a monkey bar or whatever it is you know they and and, and they do need therapy they get sent to a adult clinic essentially at yeah. least here, which is no fun <laughs> yeah that's not fun that's, i would <laughs> so, say pretty similar there's only one well the there's like a, a main pediatric hand therapy clinic that at least that I know of here in Arizona there's not a whole lot of them and like you said a lot of children they'll just get sent to an adult outpatient clinic and yeah it's not fun it's not the same <laughs> yeah I mean especially if if a clinician like mainly deals with older adults like that it's different You've got to have somebody who knows how to work with peds and yeah, and have the materials. Like you know, like yeah. I'll have like maybe some toys. Like there's even like these little game tweezers that you can yeah. use operation. Yeah, the little game operation. There's so many things that you can do to make it fun. Yeah, you know, and still help a, a child. Um, you know, de- like developmentally in in, in that sense. Because that's another thing that makes pediatric hands different, guys. Is um, you know, you still need to consider the developmental milestones. They uh-huh. are not fully developed you know and we're not just talking about like just the bone structure let alone their motor planning and how they even use their hands to begin with you know so it's different um but anyway Ashley I want to thank you for being on here I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode and got something out of it um I think there were a lot of golden nuggets um on here so i will see you guys in the next one thank you so much for having me of course of course bye everyone thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your day to listen we hope that this has been of value to you and will get you one step closer towards becoming the ot that you want to be one of the biggest problems i see is that pre-ot's They try to do things alone. They do things in isolation and the connections that they have are minimal for many reasons. But we are changing that here at OT Genius and focusing instead on building a community for pre-OTs for them to have their first OT family and meet other pre-OTs, current OT students and clinicians. To be a part of that awesome community, you can subscribe to our membership 
by going to otgenius.com. Just go to the tab, get me into OT school on the homepage, and you can join our awesome community there. You can also find our social medias and ways to get in touch with us on the website. So thank you again and see you in the next one.